live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Uh, Eric Bilstadt. So, okay, this this is this this climate thing, and so you have all these kids that are skipping school to go and attend attend these climate things. I just and and it, at least in Milwaukee, it doesn't appear that there's too many. It, it's just a couple handfuls. But I, I just tweeted this out. Channel Four is down there, and um, they're, they're taking pictures mm-hmm. of the handful of people that are there. There's these two guys that are carrying a sign. The sign says, "Save Mother Earth." Okay, I'm, I'm all right. Save Mother Earth. That's good. Shut down big oil and the Pentagon and make them pay. All right. So we're going to get rid of all the oil companies and we're going to shut down the Pentagon and we're going to make them pay. We're going to be talking about climate change a little bit later on. But what what do you say to that other than, kid, maybe you should be back in school. I mean, sh- shut down big oil. Yeah, that's exactly what we need. And by the way, there are uh, many of these demonstrations taking place all over the place, and some of the crowds are fairly large. It's also not just students. Um, There are a lot of adults taking part in these as well. This idea that it's just uh, a bunch of 12-year-olds, that's not quite the case. No, and I mean, matter of fact, there's some pictures of some of the some of the guys that that are there. And I look, and I'm, I'm I guess it depends on the protest, but my guess is if you looked at the crowd that was at a, several of these protests, you would find the same people that are out there today are at every other protest, ranging from, I don't know, we need to open up trade to Cuba. I mean, there there are professional protesters, and a lot of them are out there as well, you know, but shut down big oil and the pentagon and make them pay let's get rid of the pentagon yep absolutely and let's shut down big oil the youth of america heavy sigh from jeff wagner all right let us get started another heavy sigh i just if i sound frustrated it is because i am frustrated we talk a lot about how out of control crime has gotten in, in this area. And every time I do that, I always get some emails from people or texts saying, oh, you're overstating how bad it is. No, no, I'm really not. There are parts of this area, in particular parts of the city of Milwaukee, that are absolutely wonderful. Downtown has, by and large, gone through a, a renaissance. You know, you've got the immediate downtown area. You've got the Third Ward. You've got the Fifth Ward. Uh, I mean, you know, it's all, all all these areas are developing. So, and there, there are success stories. I understand that. And I will tell you, there are other parts of this city that are nothing short of war zones. Well, how could you say that? Because they are nothing short of war zones. And here's the story that that, you know, caught my attention. It, It is the latest in an unfortunately long series of of stories. Um, I, I sent this out. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got some links to this. But here here's what happens. 24-year-old mother is driving in her car yesterday afternoon on 5th and Center. 
couple blocks away from North Division High School, 6.30 in the afternoon, early evening. So we're not talking about 2 o'clock in the morning. We're not talking about 4 o'clock in the morning. We're talking about 6.30 in the evening. And I assume it's relatively a populated area at the time, you know, people going home or going out to dinner or whatever. So what apparently happens is the, the woman, and they have not identified her yet, she's driving. What happens is you've got two thugs apparently on, on other opposite sides of the street. Did I mention this was 6.30 in the evening? Who get into a gun battle. Yes, they, they pull out their guns and they start shooting at each other, presumably across the street. The woman is driving her car with her kid in the car. She gets hit by a stray bullet from these thugs that are shooting across the street at each other. And she's killed. She loses her life. She's killed. Um, her cousin is quoted in the story that I linked to on uh, Fox 6 News, says Milwaukee needs to stop. It's getting out of control. Milwaukee needs to stop. It's getting out of control. With all due respect to this this woman who just uh, who's talking to the TV station, who just lost her her cousin. I, I'm sorry, you're you're wrong. It's not getting out of control. It is, in fact, out of control. The idea that at 6.30 in the afternoon or early evening, you're driving your car. It's not you're not even out on the street. You're not trying to intervene and break up a fight. You're just driving your car and a gun battle breaks out and you get hit in the crossfire. It's not even a situation where like that horrible story we had a couple weeks ago where you have the woman on a Saturday morning who's teaching her son how to drive and the guy cuts her off and then gets out of the car and shoots her, you know, essentially executes her. Okay, this isn't even that. This woman wasn't involved in an altercation. It's not a road rage thing. She wasn't a target. She just happened to be in her car at the point in time when these two thugs decided, here, we're going to pull out our guns and start shooting at each other with no thought at all for the possible consequences. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I, I guess... One of the frustrations I I have about stories like this is it happens on, if not a daily basis, it seems like it happens on an almost daily basis, not throughout the entire city of Milwaukee, but certainly in certain parts of the city. There is a frustration that you have a generation, maybe multiple generations of people who live in some of these areas who have the impulse control of fruit flies, who have no no regard for consequences of actions or things like that to the point that they're willing, again, to get in gun battles across relatively busy streets. I don't know what the answer to that is, but but I do know more and more it is becoming apparent that there are there are areas in the city of Milwaukee that you just don't want to be in. And, and, you know, and it's not even a question. It used to be, well, okay, you, you don't want to be on the streets at a particular point in, in time or, or whatever. Now it's a situation of, hey, 630 in the afternoon, you don't know if you're going to get caught in a gun battle. You have done absolutely nothing. And I will tell you, I, I say this sincerely, the areas of the city, and I, I grew up around here, all right? There was a point in time where, you know, you, you wouldn't think of, 
even even the roughest areas of the city of Milwaukee, you know, you you wouldn't think about not driving through at six o'clock or six thirty at night. Maybe you would want to be there at two thirty in the morning or something like that. But I will tell you, the more you see stories like this, the more it becomes apparent that there is an increasingly wider area of the city of Milwaukee, not the whole city of Milwaukee, but there are there's been a renaissance in downtown areas and things like that and there's been other parts of the city that have been completely and totally left behind they are too dangerous for i think people to want to travel through 4147991620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line and this is just the latest story 4147991620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line i mean i, I hate to say this but if you were to call me up and say, hey, Jeff, I wanna, I'm coming from, you know, Waukesha and I'm trying to figure out the easiest and quickest way to get there. And I'm thinking about going across this street or going across that street. I would tell you, don't do it because you could be the next victim. Let's talk to John in Pewaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Hi, John. This is really uh, pertinent to our family right now. My son is 21. He's attending UWM and he and I have been texting this week. Within a week's time, um, within his area, he lives on in an apartment on Bartlett, and two blacks from his house this week, just before midnight, two thugs pull over, jump out of a car, point a shotgun in the face of a UWM student, and steal his cell phone and wallet. And then yesterday, uh, at the Dollar General store on Locust, just east of uh, Humboldt, the path my son takes every day when he goes downtown to work, his right. part-time job, you got four thugs who roll into Dollar General armed and, and rob the place. Mm-hmm. I never in a million years, Jeff, thought I would be texting my son to tell him, put your phone in your pocket, keep your eyes up, be alert, look around, be very aware of your surroundings. I never thought I'd have that conversation, but it's happening right next to him now. Oh, oh yeah. You know, in the stories that you talk about, John... The, my guess is it is a fra- you know I mean I, I didn't know about the Dollar General being robbed you know by the guys at gunpoint because there's so much of this that goes on nowadays that unless it's a 24 year old woman who ends up dead because of this my guess is what we hear about is really only the tip of the iceberg that there's stuff like you're talking about that goes on on, on, a, on a daily maybe even an hourly basis that people don't well, even know about yeah and, and here's the other thing I've talked with officers at district five uh down um near the campus and i asked them point blank i said is it safe to drive into milwaukee on capitol drive these days my son attends uwm what they've told me every time without fail if i were you sir i would take the interstate all the way into downtown and and go north along the lakefront jeff there's bullets flying they're flying through intersections without any regard for anything you might get carjacked you might be a witness to an armed robbery. It's right. just not safe. No, I, I, I and you know, and I have to tell you something, John. If you, if you were to ask me that same question, you know, if, if you're coming from Pewaukee and you're trying to get to UWM and you want to take Capitol Drive. I, I would say yeah, I, I, I would say no, I would not do that. And I, I understand people hear me say that and they end up cringing. But I mean, it, it is just it is just the reality that when you look at not just the the bad drivers that are there and the people that are driving the stolen cars and are running the red lights and things like that. But it is just the fact that 
whatever successes Milwaukee has had in certain areas, and it definitely has. You've got, like I say, a renaissance downtown. You have other areas that have been completely and totally left behind, and it's more and more and more looking like Escape from New York, you know, the old movie where you, you just have bad guys. I mean, this is 6.30 at night, and these two idiots, thugs, fill in the blank for whatever you want word you want to use, pull out guns and start shooting at each other on fifth and center for goodness sakes. And here you have a woman. It's not even like she's stopped. She's just driving through and all of a sudden she's dead because she gets hit with a stray bullet. Let's talk to Dave in West Dallas. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi Jeff, thanks Hi, for taking my call. Sure. Um well first of all my business partner and I have occasion to work in certain areas of the city, we'd prefer not to be there, but we don't want to discriminate. I will say that we have picked out certain times of the day we'll go there, and otherwise, we won't. Yeah. Now, my thought is regarding some of these idiots that, as you say, have no regard for anyone. Uh, yes, to please catch them and take them in. Unfortunately, they seem to be back from the street. Yeah before the police can get the paperwork done. Yep, 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 now, yep. Oftentimes, uh, they blame that on, well, they say rehabilitation, but oftentimes it's blamed on overcrowding. My thought would be, if you could, like, uh, consolidate, let's say, criminals of a certain group, like in this case, idiots that are just shooting with no regard for anyone, put them in the same category the same group and put them 10 on the cell let them sort it all out yeah go go the escape from new york route no thanks to call look here i mean to, to your larger point they presumably will catch these people that were involved in this this gun battle at 6:30 last night i am willing to be corrected if i am wrong because I, I don't know who they are don't know anything about them my guess is it's not their first time at the rodeo my guess is that you will see in the case of both of the shooters you will see a lengthy criminal record don't know their age but if you had access to the juvenile record you would see a lengthy juvenile record i mean maybe you just wake up one morning decide hey today's the day i'm going to go up and get into a gun battle on fifth and center but I seriously doubt it. And we're going to be asking the same question we ask over and over again, which is why were these people back out on the streets? At some point in time, I, I mean, you, you, we're going to have to start warehousing the violent criminals among us. And people don't like to hear that, but that's just the reality. Because until you do that, major areas of the city are simply not safe to travel through. You take your life in your own hands, and even if you are taking precautions, even if you are aware, now, you, you, you know, you could be the most aware you possibly could, but how are you going to perceive all of a sudden a gun battle breaks out and you get hit by a stray bullet? I mean, and I guess the, the people of the city of Milwaukee, in many respects, you, you get the type of leadership you deserve. You keep electing the same people as aldermen. You keep electing Tom Barrett as mayor. You keep accepting this as a normal and I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but it's sure frustrating. And for a lot of other people, if you have the cho- chance, I think the answer is just stay away from some of these areas. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All you rich, wealthy, fat cat landlords out there. Bernie Sanders is coming for you. Now, Bernie Sanders, 
First, you know, the, the avowed Democrat socialist who wants to be president. He's, I think he's frustrated with the fact that his campaign doesn't appear to be getting as much traction as it did four years ago. And he's, I think, also frustrated that ideas that he was talking about four years ago have now been co-opted by other candidates. And um, people might, some people at least, might agree with his ideas, but they don't necessarily see him as the proper messenger for him. So he, he's trying to get attention. And Wednesday... He comes out with his massive program to end homelessness. If Bernie Sanders is elected president, he will end homelessness. Forget about all the people that are sleeping on the streets in Madison. Forget about the people sleeping on the streets in San Francisco. Forget about those people camped out in tent cities in Milwaukee. The problem is going to go away because Bernie will be the president. Now, Bernie talks about a number of different things. He wants to spend two and a half trillion dollars and he's got as part of this he's got various plans he wants to take two and a half trillion dollars once again he's going to increase taxes on the evil rich those of you who you know have too much money and don't deserve it he's going to increase taxes he's going to build and rehabilitate millions of affordable housing units he's going to build mixed income units he's going to um, fully fund section 8 vouchers he says he is going to end homelessness now, one of the things, all right, that, that's fine because you build houses and things like that. But what about the people who are currently renting? All right. How can you, you know, protect them? How can you stop them from being homeless? So the aspect of Bernie's plan that I want to talk about now is he says that because there is a national housing crisis out there, one of the things he wants to do is immediately impose nationwide rent control for all landlords and renters. And what he would do if he got elected, got this through Congress, is Congress would essentially pass a federal law. The federal law would make it illegal for a landlord to increase rent more than 3% in a given year. Um, 3% or one and a half times the rate of inflation, whichever is greater. But for the sake of argument, let's just work with the 3%. So if you own an apartment building, you would not, under penalty of prosecution, you would not be able to increase the rent that you charged for an apartment by more than 3%. So... All right, maybe it's a situation where the apartment's vacant or whatever, and you decide, hey, the, this, this, I'm in, I've got an apartment building in an area that's kind of taking off. You know what? I, I think I can get $1,100 for it instead of $1,000 a month. It would be against the law for you to do that because that would be more than 3%. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this a good idea? And let me just throw that out there. And I understand that there's people out there who hate landlords and things like that. But is this a good idea? If we were to say to people who have invested their money, and that's what landlords are by and large. They are people, they are investors. They have choices with how they can invest their money. Some people invest money in stocks. Some people invest money in bonds. Some people invest money in gold bullion. You know, people, some people invest money in fancy wines. Other people invest money in real estate, right? And they expect a certain return on that real estate 
investments. And Lord knows, being a landlord, and I've never been a landlord myself, but I know many people who have, it's full of all sorts of challenges. You've got the bad tenants. You've got tenants who don't pay. You've got tenants who damage the property. You've got tenants who stop paying you and then force you to try to evict them, and that process takes six months or a year or whatever. But all the while, the people that are investing, they're investing their money in real estate, and they hope to get a decent rate of return. They hope to do better with their, their apartment houses or whatever than they could you know, making other forms of investment. So Bernie says, I want to have the federal government – limit how much you can charge. So if you want to raise the rate $100 um, a month, you're not going to be able to do it if that raise is more than 3% annually. Right? What's going to happen if we do that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you're a landlord, how would you respond to being told that the federal government is now saying you cannot raise your your rate you can't increase what people are going to have to pay for rent above three percent four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i can tell you what i think is going to happen we discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on this is jeff wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner so very glad to have you with us gary in appleton gary you're first hello Hello, how are you today? I am well, thank you. So Bernie Sanders says uh, th- these landlords are making too much money. We need national rent controls. You can't raise rents more than 3% a year. Um, I'm uh, I'm now in my 70s, but I am a former landlord. Um, my partner and I had rental property through the years. And um, um, if we're not going to limit the expense side of the ledger sheet, then I I, I, I really can't see how you can limit the income side of the expense sheet. Um, right. You know, if you're not going to limit what the plumber charges to 3% or what the taxes are going to go up 3% or right. so on and so or forth. Or what the utilities are going to go up for or whatever, exactly. right? Exactly. Right. And are we just picking on the um, landlords around the country? I mean, are we going to try to limit the cost of any other services or things yeah. that, you know, are provided and, you know, I'm, I'm not in the game anymore, but I certainly would not put one nickel into it should this become law. Not a nickel. Well, I, I wouldn't have anything to do with rental property should it become law. Well, right. And see, Gary, and, and that's what I think people like Bernie Sanders don't understand. It, you, you know, you, you got I assume you got into rental property because, I mean, first of all, you, you want to provide good housing for the community, but you, you're there to make money. And you're well, making the, you're making the decision, hey, I'm, I, I'm going to own these buildings and I'm going to do this because I get a certain rate of return. And if if you're not allowed, if you're not going to be allowed to make money on the things, why bother? You'll you'll be investing somewhere else. Absolutely, and um, you know, rent um, in, investing in property is you know it's nothing new, and it is a good investment. There's an old saying. I think it was Will Rogers. He said, you know, investing in real estate is really a good deal because they don't make it anymore. Right, and there's no and, more land. Yeah, <laughs> they're not making land. Yeah. But to make a long story short, um, I, I, I did weigh in, and I'll take your comments off the air. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it, Gary. Thank you. I, I'll tell you, you know, your points are all valid. I'm, I'm going to say something else about this too. All right, if if you're if you are capped as to what you can charge as far as a as rent increase, 
right? What is the, your incentive to, you know, improve the product? Uh, you know, for example, let's say you've got a, an older unit and you'd say, you know, I'd, I'd really like to come in and I'd like to, I'd like to put in a new bathroom and I'd like to, you know, maybe do some stuff in the kitchen. I want to upgrade the unit, but it's going to cost me $10,000 to upgrade the unit. Well, if you're not going to be able to charge more rent or at least appreciably more rent for the, the unit, why would you make improvements to it? I mean, it just, it would make absolutely no dollar and cents sense to do something like that. Let's talk to Mike on the Northwest side. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. My, my thoughts are, you know, these guys, if he wants to, you know, keep it limited to 3%, like the other general thing, you can't account for the expenses and everything else going up. Right. And you got to follow the money. I mean, go go put your money somewhere else. I mean, I don't. If you have stock in XYZ company, it's fifty dollars, and it goes up double, and yeah. it's more than three percent. Are you supposed to give it to Bernie? <laughs> well, that's well. I mean, but you do wonder if this is like the the camel with its nose under the tent. I mean, maybe that's what Bernie's ultimate idea is with socialism. That here, you know, we we think people are making too much money, so what we're going to do is we're we're going to limit everything. You know, no, you can't get a raise, or Mike's stocks can't go up more than three percent, or whatever. We're what we're going to do is we're just going to have this one national standard that's out there. Now, thanks for the call. And what about? Okay, see, that what offends me so much about. This is I'm I'm a free market guy. What a you know I, I believe in the idea of supply and demand. So what happens if, as an investor, you decide you know what? I think that there is an area here that is about to to take off, and I, I think there's going to be a great demand. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to borrow a bunch of money, and I'm going to like build I'm going to build an apartment complex or something like that. All right, and I'm going to make it nice. But you know what? I expect that, you know, this is an area that is going to be developing. And I expect that, you know, once people start to find this, yeah, we're, we're going to be able to make more money. We're going to be able to charge more in rents, et cetera, et cetera, because people are going to want to live there. So that gives you the incentive to make the, you know, make the um, investment, you know, to provide the housing options. You do something like this nationwide, and you will absolutely kill, capital K, capital I, capital L, capital L, you will kill the whole apartment industry. And if the idea is to get more quality, affordable housing, well, this is going to take the private sector completely out of it. Now, maybe, again, that's what Bernie Sanders is trying to do. Maybe his ultimate plan is we want everybody who is renting. We don't want you renting from those evil landlords. We want the government to control all of this. We want everybody in government-controlled and government-subsidized housing. Well, um, okay, Great. You know, if that's really the way you want to live, fine. But I just don't think that's where most people are. Now, there's other aspects of Bernie's plan that I think are ridiculous as well. But the the national rent control is what struck me as being particularly absurd. Other aspects are absurd as well. Two point five trillion dollars here. And then we're just going to we're going to build our own versions of Cabrini Green or whatever. And people are going to be happy and it's going to end homelessness. Give me a break. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Eric Bill said, I, I acknowledge that I am fascinated by this particular case because, as I've often said, back in law enforcement, 
Um, sometimes you got to work really, really hard to crack cases and catch people. And then there's sometimes there's there's what you call just the low hanging fruit. Okay. The really stupid criminals who are there wanting to get caught. And I think a couple days ago we we talked about this the the, the Crusher statue in South Milwaukee. Mm-hmm which was vandalized by a couple of these yo-yos, including one guy who's on who's on probation for armed robbery, who's well-known to the South Milwaukee police, who apparently doesn't realize he's doing this in front of a surveillance camera, who has the word Milwaukee tattooed. Now, we do know it is a tattoo uh, across the whole side of his face. Okay, so, now again, sometimes it, it's... You got to work hard to crack a case. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, other times it's not that hard. So they're able to get the first guy. Did you see they've arrested the second guy now? Oh, okay, great. Okay, well here, the second guy, it's, he he would also if if the first guy with the Milwaukee tattoo was low hanging fruit, this guy would classify into that same category. His name is Douglas Macklin. He is the pride of Pembine, which is kind of up in Marinette County. Mm-hmm. So he's a buddy of this this James Dutch. So so they're there. <laughs> All right, so he's there banging on the statue with the brick. The first, apparently, they first find out about it, and he's on the surveillance camera, too. They first find out about him because his buddy, um, at least according to the story, Dudgeon, the guy with the Milwaukee, he, he immediately decides not to be a stand-up guy, and he gives him up. He says, okay, that, that's, that's, that's who this is. So then, then they go to his Facebook page. And apparently he's wearing the same shirt on his Facebook page as he's wearing the day he vandalizes ah, the statue. Okay. You know, that it's helps. like yeah. well, again, some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. If you're going to engage in acts of vandalism, first of all, you know, pick a better quality of criminal to go do that with. And secondly, you might want to at least change your shirt or something. You know, okay, let's go. Oh, look, it's the same shirt that they're wearing. I just you can't make this stuff up. I, I mean. You can't make this stuff up. So he's uh, he's been cited as well, and he's apparently they've been they've sent him they're going to issue a warrant for his arrest. And all right, they have solved the problem. And actually, I mean, kudos to kudos to the folks in South Milwaukee for getting on on top of this. And I do not mean to diminish their efforts at all, but like I say, sometimes it's hard to catch guys. Sometimes it's not that difficult. Who gets a Milwaukee? T- I I, st- I I know this is the third day I've mentioned this. Who gets? The word Milwaukee right, tattooed yeah. on your face. It's impressive. <laughs> well, I mean, at least they spelled it right. But I mean, I, yeah, I keep, yeah. you know, at least they spelled it right. But I, I just keep thinking that it's, it's pride. Almost, it's pride. It's almost well, yeah. But what happens if you move? It, it, it's almost like there should be like malpractice for the tattoo guy. I mean, I, I understand that you know people come in, they want that stuff. But if I'm the tattoo artist and somebody comes in and says, "I want Milwaukee tattooed all over my face, under my eye, running to my ear," at, at some point in time, don't you have like a responsibility to the world to say, "Dude, it's, it's <laughs> interesting you say that." Mike Spalding was talking about this the other day because he knows a couple of the local tattoo shop owners and that, and they. Those, the ones that he knows, will sit you down and say, "Hey, when it dude. comes to, when it comes to your face, <laughs> right, dude, <laughs> you, you want to think about this, you know." And they'll they'll make they'll reiterate over and over again. Might want to hold off on the face, well, the face ink, well, right, because it's not going anywhere, yeah. and you know, yeah. it's just. But um, I don't know if if somebody had the conversation with this character, he he did not listen, or it's just it's just it's almost like it's almost like tattoo malpractice. I was telling you straight the other day, my brother. Okay, this is part of his midlife crisis. He now has two tattoos, and I, I did not realize this, but apparently the Wagner Show is big in the tattoo market. He, he's getting his tattoo, and and the owner of the tattoo shop comes down and says, 
you Jeff Wagner's brother? And he says, yeah, I, I am. And said, oh, well, we listened to the show. We got it on down here and nice. stuff. And I said, that, nice. that's absolutely telling to come down here, do a remote broadcast. And, well, okay. Maybe I can get a discount if I decide to get <laughs> some right. ink yes. myself. No, it's, um, yeah, get a fan <laughs> on there. No, I think she'd, I think she'd kill me if I went that. That's that. I, I don't, we're, and I, look, I, I have no, I have no problems with it with people who have this. I'm just not a tattoo guy. I understand. I, I think that's just that's kind of it. Although, as I've said before, if I ever find a place that can come up with painless and effective tattoo removal, I'm investing in it. Because I'm mean, talking painless and effective because I am just convinced that there's going to be well, okay, something that looks good on you when you're 20 doesn't necessarily right. look good. You know, when you're mm-hmm. 60, that's mm-hmm. just kind of yep. the reality. Or you just flat out get tired of it. Or like a friend of mine, years and years ago, he gets his first wife's name tattooed on his arm. Um, did I mention it? The first wife's uh, name. Yes. You know? So I just, yep, yep, it's just yep. things like that. But none of it rivals the let's get Milwaukee tattooed across our face. All right. So in any event, the, the Crusher statue thing is coming to an end. They are bringing both people to justice. Let us completely and totally switch gears. Um, Beto O'Rourke has no chance at all of being the Democratic nominee for president. It's, it's just it's flat out not going to happen. Nevertheless, he's continuing to run for president. And just like with Bernie Sanders um, trying to get attention, you know, Bernie Sanders says, OK, I want national rent control. Won't that be great? Um, you know, Beto is trying to throw out ideas that will get him attention for years and years and years. People on the left have said, look, we're in favor of gun control, but we're not out to take people's guns. That's that's been the argument. Beto, well, he, he's he's now thrown that playbook out. And a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this when he first said it, but it's gotten a lot of attention lately because he refuses to back off. Beto has said, no, you know what? I do intend to take your guns. And in particular, I am talking about these AR-15 style semi-automatic rifles that are used on occasion, you know, in the, these mass shooting crimes and he says yes if i am president i will declare a national emergency with regard to firearm violence and what i want to see is i want to see a mandatory buyback of these semi-automatic quote-unquote assault style rifles the ar-15s and the like right now let me just give you the numbers there are about 300 million firearms in the possession of people in the United States. That, that, you know, maybe it's 290 million, maybe it's 310 million, but let's use 300 uh, million. The estimate is that there are somewhere between 5 to 10 million of these AR-15 um, semi-automatic style assault rifles. So 5 to 10 million. A relatively small percentage, given the fact that you've got 300 million guns that are owned in this country, but 5 to 10 million is a lot. And what Beto wants to do is he wants to say, look, everybody that owns one must, must turn their firearm in. We will pay you, the federal government will pay you for it, but you have no choice. You've got to give it up. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. When he first threw this out, 
I thought, eh, this guy's probably not. He, he's just he's just trying to get attention. The more I have watched this debate, watched him talk about this over the course of the last couple of weeks, I, I'm convinced that he and a number of other people are serious about this. Now, it's one thing to say, look, we're we're going to buy these guns back, you know, and we're going to take up a collection or we're going to have some federal money to buy these firearms back from people voluntarily. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying under penalty of prosecution, you will have to turn in your gun. Will people actually do this? Would this work? Would people say, okay, I'm not happy about this, but I'm going to turn in my gun? Or would we create a nation of 5 to 10 million more otherwise law-abiding citizens who suddenly have become criminals? 414-799-1620, a mandatory gun buyback. Is this an idea whose time has come? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Mark texts, God forbid this ever comes to fruition. I will simply say that I sold my AR in a private sale and no longer own it. But under no circumstances, even penalty of law, will I ever give up any of my firearms they would have to send somebody with an assault weapon and pry it from my cold, dead hands. That is, uh, of course, quoting from Charlton Heston. Uh, Bill says, Jeff, it's look, let's be honest. It's not a buyback. It is a confiscation. I did not buy my gun from the government. I bought it from a gun store. Jeff, I think this idea would never work. I think you would have people um, with opposing viewpoints turning people in that they know because they're out there because that's type of guns. I'm myself not a gun collector. However, my husband feels very strongly about his rights to own guns, and I would hate to see someone turn him in because he possesses one of these firearms. 414-799-1620. Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Jeff, uh, how much are you going to buy these guns back for? More than I paid for it? Or what? I, I don't know if you know that Colt announced uh, today that they're not going to make AR-15s anymore. Right. For, for police and uh, right. uh, mil- military. <clears throat> if, if they sell them to the military. Right. But um, how much are you going to buy these, these, these guns back for? Yeah, well, exactly. But and and I guess my question is, what what about the people who don't want to sell their guns? But even even if they give you fair market value, what if you like that gun and you decide you're not going to sell it back? Are we going to put you in jail for not doing that? Really? Well, well, Jeff, you work for the government. They will put you in jail. You know that. Yeah. They put people in. They put people in jail and confiscated gold. But uh, when FDR did it, they confiscated gold. Yeah. In fact, they just did it recently about uh, a year ago. Confiscated a gold coin from a guy. Yeah, it's well. I mean, I tell you, this is. I mean, thanks to God, this is. I mean, this is a dynamic that that is out there. Look, and and I understand you've had some of these mass shootings, and you know, which, when you consider the fact that there's three hundred, let, let's even work with the number. Let's say there's ten million of these types of firearms that are in existence. You've had a handful of shootings, which means that. Nine, you know, nine million nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand plus are 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 being used responsibly, aren't promoting dangers. So, I mean, is that a justification? But I, I have a provocative text, and I, I want to share it with you because I do not own one of these types of firearms. I, I I'm, I'm a gun owner. I have a gun, but it's not. I have a handgun. Okay, here here's here's the text that um, one of our listeners in Whitefish Bay text Jeff. 
I have little experience with guns. Can you explain what people do with these semi-automatic weapons? Are they used for hunting? Thanks. The question, I guess, being, does anybody need one of these guns in the first place? Given the fact that they are, in many cases, the weapon of choice when you have, you know, one of these psychopaths who goes on this mass shooting. All right. Does any... What is the purpose of these, and why do you need one? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because, again, and I, I want to be clear here, I, I I understand the Second Amendment creates a right, but that's to, to me, that's not necessarily the answer. It's not that I, I have the right to do it. The question is, all right, is there a need? Why, why would somebody want to own a firearm like this, if it wasn't for the idea that maybe someday you want to go and you know shoot up a farmer's market or something, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, what what do you do with these guns? If you are an owner of one of these types of firearms, what do you do with it? And would you be willing to give it up if Beto O'Rourke somehow got elected president and said that you had to? All right, we continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Yeah, it's a good idea. AR-15s and the like are not needed. Uh, just make sure when you're talking about this that you're clear on what you're saying, that it's not hunting guns. No, it's, it's the AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Steve in Brookfield. Hi, Steve. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Um, this is uh, so, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm a sportsman, and I, I definitely don't use an AR-15 for hunting in Wisconsin. But when I travel to Texas or Arkansas or Florida or Alabama or Tennessee or any of the Mid-South or Southeastern states, it's the most widely used sporting rifle. And you might ask for what? And it's for feral hogs. Okay. So in Texas and Arkansas, there is a huge problem with feral hogs, and that is the most widely used Mm-hmm. Sporting rifle for hunting feral hogs. I know the people. Reason is, oh, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The reason for hunting the feral well, hogs is. Well, there's an overpopulation. R- right, but I mean, so the reason when, for when using I, this firearm to shoot the feral hogs is. Oh, I've been surrounded by thirty to forty to fifty of them at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, you know, I, I know but, people but, who own these, and, and I will tell you, um, they are they are easy to shoot. And yeah. I know a number of people who who use these just for for target practice and things like that sure. because they are they are easy to shoot and they're they're lightweight and they're easy to handle and they're and, they're very accurate. And I would say, and, and and another point there is they operate the exact same way that my grandfather's 1927 Browning shotgun does. Right, right. It's semi-automatic. And then to that point, because I think what we're really getting to. Is not so much the semi-automatic because then you open up a whole thing. I mean, that's the most widely used action for waterfall hunting, for upland game hunting, you name it. But I think it gets back to magazine capacity. Yep. And at that point, though, I'm thinking in the back of my head, gosh, you give me a box of buckshot and a 12-gauge pump shotgun, I could potentially harm 10, 20, 30 people per round. Do most people know there's 12 to 30 projectiles in a in one round of of a buckshot round yeah i guess the argument thanks for calling i guess the argument though would be you know you get hit with the buckshot and you you know you, you don't you don't die you you may guess theoretically you could i understand that but you end up you know just you end up sore i you know i 
if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I, I divert. I think you have to be open to reasonable issues. I do not, and I've said this before. I don't understand why you need a high capacity magazine with the capability that that has a hundred rounds in it before you can reload. I I just I don't see the purpose. I, I think you, the practical thing is you're never going to get. 10 million people to voluntarily turn in their firearms. And I, I just don't think it makes any sense in today's day and age to suddenly say, okay, we're going to take those 10 million people and let's say 7 million don't turn in their guns and we're going to criminalize this and we're going to prosecute you. To me, that that is a waste of resources that are out there. Now, as one of the first callers made the point, Colt says they're not making the AR-15s for civilian consumption anymore. Maybe that's going to be something that will help get them out of society. But the bottom line is, I just don't think confiscation or buybacks, mandatory buybacks work. And candidly, I, I think Beto is wrong in pursuing this because for everybody on the left who for years and years has been saying, hey, we're not about gun confiscation, he's now saying, I am about gun confiscation. And that adds a whole new element to the discussion. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in about a half hour, we've got a story about what happens when political correctness runs head on into gender conscious woke parenting. You know, we're we're woke. You know, we we're we're all about you know equality and all this type of stuff. What happens when there is a conflict between those folks and between the politically correct and the perpetually offended? And I've got a link to the story and some illustrations. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. We're going to talk about that in uh, just a few minutes. All right. Look around the room where you are. And, you know, if you're in a car, don't take your eyes off the road, but just think about the stuff that's in, in the car. As I look around the room now, and I try to picture how this studio was different 20 years ago, you know, when I, when I first started. And I, I will tell you, one of the big differences is we have a lot more stuff in the studio now than we had 20 years ago. And my guess is, and by stuff I mean, I mean electronic stuff. You know, we've got we've got TV monitors. We've got five or six TV monitors that are tuned in. We've got, and just in front of me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Just in front of me, I have seven different computer monitors. I don't know what two of them do, but I've got seven of them in front of me. And as I'm looking around, there's more computer monitors all around the studio. We've got all these type of things. We've got the bells and whistles. I've got my, I got my cell phone that, that's out sitting there turned into the vibrate mode. Uh, so I'm, I'm just looking around. There's all these different gadgets, all these different bells and whistles. My guess is if you're driving in your car, you know, you've got a lot more electronic stuff in your car now than you would have had five years ago or 10 years ago or certainly 20 years ago. We, we depend more and more on devices that are powered by electricity and things of the like. It's just our modern conveniences that are there. I bring this up because, as Eric has been mentioning in his newscasts all afternoon, today is a day where you have young people from all around the world who are out there and they are protesting, I don't know, climate change, demanding people do things. If you were listening at the start of the program, one of the tweets I sent out has a link to a picture, a couple guys from downtown Milwaukee carrying a sign that says, I've got a picture of it, this big banner that says, Save Mother Earth. 
shut down big oil and the Pentagon and make them pay. Okay, so that's kind of the attitude that's out there. Oh, you've got these evil people that are out there destroying the planet, and, and we need to we need to do something. All right, now I, and I I get it. I I under I understand that to an extent. Now here here's part of the problem, though, and this is what I want to talk to you about. For the people that are out there demanding massive that we do massive things for for climate change, my question is. How far are you willing to go? Because it's one thing to say, okay, we, we need to have climate change. You know, we're, we're concerned about climate change and we want to protect the earth. And, and look, I'm not necessarily a climate change denier because I, to, to me, it actually makes sense. You've got more people living on the planet now than ever before. You have a number of countries like China and India that are dependent more on fossil fuels than they have been in the past. They are becoming industrialized. So yeah, more people more industrial progress. Yeah, I mean, I understand that there's probably, it makes sense to me, that there's probably more, for example, demand for fossil fuels and more carbon and things like that. So I, I, I do I believe that people could be a contributing factor to, uh, again, rising greenhouse gases and stuff? And the answer is yes, I, I do believe that. My question is, though, where do you go from from here? Shut down big oil. Is kind of what the sign says. Okay, so so here here is my question: Are we seriously ready to give up the internal combustion engine? I mean, is, is that seriously the idea? We're we're not going to drive anymore. Are we seriously ready to say, okay, well, you know, we're 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 not going to use you know fuel, so we're going to ground all the airplanes? I mean, I I know it sounds ridiculous, but you know that's that's it. Are we not going to fly anymore? Um, are we willing to have, say, gas prices go through the roof because despite the fact that you've got oil, which is perhaps arguably more plentiful now than any time in our existence and easier to get out because of technology and things like fracking, are, are we going to say we're going to eliminate all that because we, again, we, we want to get rid of a dependence on, on oil? As far as electricity, going back to the point I was making earlier, think about, look at all these devices that you are surrounded by. What runs those? Well, in in general, electricity runs those. And you might say, well, gee, I'd like us to go to more you know, renewable sort of sources for this. And, I, and I'd like you to have, you know, more coal, I'm sorry, more solar power, or I'd like you to have more wind power, which is all well and good, but there's no way, no way that you're going to be able to generate enough electricity to meet our demands via, you know, wind turbines and solar power. Can can you, certainly not in the next hundred years, can you do it, okay, to maybe kind of offset it? Well, well sure, but it's just, it's a niche. It's not something that's going to be able to accomplish stuff. So I guess, and of course, many of the people, you know, who, uh, again, are advocates for climate change and don't like, you know, fossil fuels, you, you say, okay, well, maybe we can get our power by going nuclear. And they say, oh, my gosh, you, you can't have a nuclear plant. We, we can't do any of that. So what are we willing to do? Are, are we willing to cut back on electricity? Are we willing to give up our computer monitors? Are we willing to go back 40 or 50 years? Are you willing to set the thermostat at 60 or 55 in the winter and um, leave it at 85 in the summer? Are, are we willing to do away with air? I was some one of these climate change activists were saying, we don't need air conditioning. No, we, we, we just don't. That, that's this huge power draw. People in the U.S. are just too addicted to air conditioning. We don't need air conditioning. 
okay, are, are you willing to do that? Is this really where we have become? Because I hear a lot of talk about, oh, climate change. And I hear all these protesters, but it's really short on practical solutions. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I, I'm... The question is somewhat vague, the way I'm putting it to you, but I am genuinely curious. All right, are you willing to make major changes in your lifestyle? Are you willing to, all right, spend a ton more money for gas? Are you willing to say, okay, I'm not going to have the thermostat above 60, you know, in in the winter. It's just going to be how it's going to be. Are you willing to say, all right, maybe we need to, you know, dramatically cut back on our use of, of airplanes? All those different types of things, which... You know, you're going to have to be willing to do if you're going to be serious about reducing, you know, greenhouse gases. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we seriously willing, as the banner says, to shut down big oil and the Pentagon? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am legitimately curious, and you're going to see all these stories on the TV news tonight about all these students who are protesting for climate change. We're, we're protesting, you know, we're concerned about climate change and global warming and all that type of stuff. And, and, and one of the things that's missing is is nobody asks, and are, are you willing to give up your cars? Are you willing to set your thermostat at 60 in the winter? Are you willing to do away with um, with air conditioning? Are you willing to ground planes? You know, one of the things that they talk about is contributing to climate change is, uh, is meat. Are you willing to stop eating meat? People say you go vegan, you know, start eating a plant-based diet. That's much, much better for the environment. You know, are, are we willing to do that? That's, I guess, my fundamental question because we're dependent now in this country and in the world more than ever before on, again, on generating electricity, on using power and things like that. So what are we willing to give up? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, you're first. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. You know, I, I was listening to you. I agree 100%. You know, I wouldn't mind moderating some things that I do, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, climate change, I'm not an activist at all. But at the same time, it started making me think that as with the far advances that we, we, we're taking leaps on battery power, on solar mm-hmm. power, and wind power, and they change all the time on trying to get things better and better and better. I think we need to invest. I think the whole world needs to invest in trying to find a better way of doing things. Only be only because if you don't do that, the Saudi of the Iranians, like for now, are using that, a card in their deck, threatening nuclear war. I mean, because that's really what it's going to come down to. Mm-hmm. So if we can all try to find a way to get away from doing that, we won't be as dependent. They won't be able to use that card. Well, you're right. I, get, I mean, look. Here, here's the here's the thing. I I understand. You know, I mean, as, as I said, as, as I said when I started this segment, you know, part of the problem is you have places like India and China that are becoming more industrialized, and you know they they use lots and lots of coal. You know, in the United States, do we use coal? Yes, but we're moving away from from coal. Um, so you you have the, these different dynamics. But I, I'm not against conserving. 
And I'm not against being you know, smart with this. And I'm not inve- against investing in new technologies to try to figure out if there's a better way to do stuff. I mean, let's talk about electric cars. I mean, I understand there's some people out there who have electric cars and just absolutely love them. Bottom line right now is I still don't think we have the technology for many of us to make them practical. I think the cost is still prohibitive. I, I think the, um, the the battery life is makes it impractical for for everyday cars for many many people and again the cost it just it's cheaper to continue to use the internal combustion engine now who who knows where we might be you know 5 years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now that whole dynamic can switch and that's fine and in that case the market will take over so i'm not saying you have to be stupid about it and i'm i'm also i mean i appreciate you have to be open but when i see the, these kids that are protesting and oh let, let's get rid of big oil okay get rid of big oil and what all right, so if just tomorrow we snap our fingers and we stop producing gasoline and we stop producing fuel and there's nothing for the airplanes to fly on and there's nothing for people to drive, I mean, what are we going to do? I'll go back to riding horses? I mean, is that is that really the solution that's out there? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lorraine in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Yeah. I agree that we don't want to go back to the dark ages and some of the signs of the youth about getting rid of big oil and stuff is actually a call for us to ask our government for help because big oil is not going to help us. I mean, they are Exxon and like all the big oil companies, they are investing in solar technology and renewable technology, but when I think that sign is, ta- you took it a little too cheeky, but we want to use the technology and the advancements that our society has taken to take that next big step. And again, what you said, what you agree with is we need to learn how to conserve and mm-hmm. use the oil when we like for the things that we really want. And, you know, the combustion engine was a great invention. That's what got us all here to this society. But we, I think the climate strike and what the youth are really asking today and like I, you know, was down there in the walk that what we're asking is for our government to really consider this an issue and have it be on the forefront of policy because nothing's really, we can do the whole thing. We could even go back to riding horses, all of us, but that's not going to change big business and how that's run. And that's, you know, that's where it is. Okay, so. See, tip, you know, what's interesting, see, Lorraine, I'm, I'm a child of, of kind of the 60s and 70s, more of the 70s. And yeah. so I, I remember, I remember the pro, I remember the Vietnam War protest. Okay, get, get the U.S. out of Vietnam. You know, I, I remember the Watergate protest. You know, Nixon needs to resign, all that type of stuff. There were, there were conscious things that the protesters were trying to accomplish. You know, I mean, get us out of Vietnam, all that type of stuff. What, what do you think? Is there a central theme? All these people that are out there demonstrating today, is there a central theme that, that they want? That, does anybody even agree on what they want? Or is it like you were just saying a minute ago, we just want the government to pay attention. We don't know what the answer is, but we want government to help us. We want the government to help us and, you know, recognize the science. And Greta Thornburg, the, the Swedish right. uh, teenager who started this whole thing, she um, you know, gave to all the governments of the world the 35-page climate 
change document that came out that, you know, has been reviewed by the scientific community. So there are, we have steps. And one of the great things is I work for um, Lush, which is a handmade cosmetics, and they're at Mayfair Mall. Mm -hmm. And we were participating. All of the Lushes in North America shut down for the day so that we could go and participate in the climate strike. And what's really cool is if you stop in, if you're at the Mayfair Mall, stop into Lush. We have a great little pamphlet that has like seven easy steps that you can take that include, that go from, you know, reducing your water intake to buying local food to, you know, activate, you know, to writing letters to your Congress. So, it, you know, it's it's a multiple step process. It's a, it's a big, big problem and we need to start you know, and I don't mean to trivialize it, trivialize it, but you're 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 still going to have air conditioning on at the store, right? Oh, of course. Okay. We uh, we the thing is, is as a human society, we relish in the fact that we have the brains enough to take this oil that's seeping out of the ground and turn it into stuff that can utilize and make our lives better. But. Hi. No, and I, I understand you've always got thanks, and I appreciate the perspective, Lorraine, and, I, and I do. And and if I, I guess I just look at these kind of these strikes and 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 the protests, and it's kind of like, okay, what are what is the action thing that you're you're trying to do? Because if you look at the stuff that's rolled out as the Green New Deal, okay, I'm I'm sorry, but that's cuckooville. It it, it just is because we're not going to stop flying on planes. That that's just the, the reality. We're not going to ground planes you know you're that that's just not going to happen I, I don't think the majority of people are willing to say all right you know we're going to set our thermostats at 65 or 50 and we're not going to use air conditioning in the summer these are all things that we've done to in, enhance our our ability to live and our lifestyles and things like that we're, we're not going to give that type of stuff up period and when you start to call that stuff and say okay this is what we want all right you kind of raise your, your question my guess is a lot of the people that for example went down to this protest they across the world they drove there i mean a lot of people drove there in their cars are they willing to give up their cars if the idea is we want to continue investing in technology to try to figure out you know how we can make the world a better cleaner place 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I, I'm all in favor of it. I just think you have to figure out, okay, what are we really saying? And getting rid of big oil and doing away with the Pentagon, eh. um, we got lots coming up on today's program. If you want to see the next topic and see what is creating all this controversy, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got uh, the story and some illustrations, and it's what happens when political correctness meets gender-conscious wokeness. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Pop Culture Corner, um, we haven't done one for a couple weeks. I've been off um, on my river cruise and things like that. That's coming up uh, right after the 2.30 news. Lots of excitement involving the Brewers. And, and look, I, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge this. I did not see this September rush coming. Um, I... 
I just saw a team that was kind of treading water most of the year, and and they've just they've gotten hot. Wayne Larravee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, always says, and I don't know if he was the first one that said it, but he's certainly made the point of it's not necessarily who you play, it's when you play them. And the Brewers, they they've gotten hot at exactly the right time, and now you know they're they're in second place for the wild card they're a game ahead against uh, cubs if you look at the schedule it appears to be favorable but you still have to take care of business the cubs are playing the cardinals i mean it's it is exciting and you're again we're talking about september baseball that matters and that's a lot of fun and um no one no one is going to be happier than me if it turns out that my prediction saying hey i don't think they're going to make the playoffs you know from the middle of the year I, nobody's going to be happier than than me as i said also and I've been making this point. Uh, I I was in Las Vegas, and you know, Groom, you know, you go to Las Vegas, and you can bet on things. They will actually allow you to wager on things. And I I wagered the over under this year, which means that you know, will the Brewers win more than a certain number of games or lose more than a certain number of games? The over under was eighty seven. Last year they won ninety six. So that means if you bet the over, they have to win eighty seven. I bet the over. And I will tell you, I've been kind of, and it's sort of a stupid money bet. My wife keeps saying, how much did you bet? And I keep saying, what are we having for dinner, honey? You know, uh, but a month ago, and I've been kind of keeping track of this, a month ago, they had to go like 21 and 10, win like 21 out of 30 games or something to to hit that 87 number. And I was not too optimistic. Well, um, when we were on a river cruise, every day, I'm kind of, there's a seven-hour time difference, and I'm getting up. And say, they won last night. They won last night. So now they have 83 wins. They've got nine games left. So if they go four and five, you know, they they hit the over, and I get to cash the the bet in. But I mean, I I, I want to be greedy now. It's like, hey, let's let's win eight out of the next nine games and see what could absolutely happen and stuff. So we're hey, I'm I'm I have a rooting interest. I have a betting interest. It's all kind of coming together. Okay, Gru, when you were a kid. Did you play with army men? Oh, uh, you know, like little toy figurines I, and stuff and stage battles. No, I didn't have them. My friends did. Okay, but you, but yeah, I, I played with them. But okay, yeah, but no. you didn't have them yourself. You were, but all right. Well, um, when I see, I don't know. Maybe this says a lot about me. But when I grew up, you know, there there wasn't I, I, the first generation of of the video games. Oh my gosh, I can remember this. The first generation of video games. Uh, that came out when I was a kid. It was like this, this original basic Atari stuff. And honest to goodness, what you would do is you would put like a plastic screen that you would stick to the TV set. And then you had this little device and you could maybe like play tennis back and forth. And then they started, when I was in college, they started coming out with the kind of arcade games where you had Space Invaders and things like that. I, I am unfortunately that old. Um, but so I you know, when, when I was growing up, you didn't have all the fancy electronic stuff, you know. So one of the things that, that people did is you, you know, actually, like, played with toy soldiers and stuff. And you'd, like, recreate battles. And you'd go out and you'd get these, oh, in many cases, these, like, little cheap, tiny plastic army men, you know. And they'd have they'd be in positions like shooting guns and stuff. And you'd set them all up. And then, I mean, the fun was kind of like setting them all up. Then, you know, what you do with them after that, you know, who necessarily knows? But I, I grew up with these cheap plastic army men that you'd put and you'd set up in different sorts of, of things. I guess they still make them, and I guess there are people that still play with them. 
uh, but you know who who would have thunk? But one of the key things with these these toys, these little plastic men, is that they were all army men, army men, in part because you you didn't have women in combat back then. But so they were army men. Now I, I've got a link to this again. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a link to this story, including these illustrations. All right. Army men. What about girl army men? What happens is there's this six-year-old girl, and a big story in the Chicago Tribune uh, about this. Um, she is on vacation with her family, and she wins a set of plastic green army men from an arcade while she's on vacation. So the, the little girl, six years old, she's playing with them. And then she says to her mother, Mom, i got a question. Why aren't any of these army men girls? And so the mother says, huh, interesting. And so what she does is starts to do some research, and she can, find, she can find on the Internet that you could go out and you could buy pink army men, you know, little plastic things, but, but in men. But, but there weren't women. And so, all right, the mom says, you're, you're right, there, there's no girl army men. That's the phrase they're using. And so the mom says, well, what should you do? And the little girl says, let's write a letter. So what they did is they looked up a couple of places that make these army men, and they, they, send, them, they send this off. And according to the story, what happens is they get a response from this manufacturer, a place out in Pennsylvania, that makes these army men and the guy says you know we we haven't thought about this before but you know you you've you've got a good point so what we're going to do is not in time for this christmas but in time for next christmas we're going to make girl army we're going to make army women green army women and we're working on five poses we're going to have a soldier uh uh female captain with a handgun and binoculars, a female soldier standing and firing a rifle, a female soldier kneeling while firing a bazooka, a female soldier firing a sniper rifle while lying on her stomach, and a female soldier kneeling and firing a rifle. And they also says we're going to create a female medic and radio operator at a later date. And I've got you know some illustrations that are up there as to what these are going to look like. But you've essentially got... Now, female army soldiers carrying guns, carrying bazookas. And it was interesting to me because the story in, in the paper that I've got a link to in the Chicago Tribune is talking about how, oh, this is this great breakthrough. Oh, isn't this wonderful? You've got this, you know, woke toy company who's now, you know, aware that, you know, gee, we have been perhaps discriminating against women because we've only had men in these army men thing. So now we've got women carrying guns and women shooting rifles and women with bazookas. All right. So that's the one side of it. Hey, it, it's great. You know, we're, we're now all about gender equity, and we've got the women in combat. All right. Now, there is a flip side to this, because at the same time, we've now got the gender equity and the woke parents who can go out and, you know, in this case, the six-year-old girl can go and, and buy girl army men, is the phrase that they use. All right. But at the same time, the, these are going to be women that are carrying guns and shooting bazookas and doing the like. Huh. And I was thinking, huh, I wonder how that's going to fit, because 
I thought we're trying to get away from all this in today's society. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I could easily see this story being spun in a completely different way. All right, the spin on the story right now is, oh, isn't this great? This toy company is recognizing that maybe there's been a gender bias. We're going to produce all these military people, all these female characters now carrying guns. All right, this could easily have been spun the other way. Oh, my gosh, how terrible is this that we are glorifying war? We're glorifying shooting, and now we're going so far as to produce women engaging in these combat type of things. How could we possibly do this? Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, is there going to be a market for this particular product? Does the world need, I don't know, female army men? Or is this going to be one that once people start to think about it, they go, oh gosh, this, you know, this, this is glorifying war and we don't need it. All right, is this going to be a success, or is this going to be more controversial than people think? 414-799-1620, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620, Steve in Burlington. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Okay, female toy soldiers. All right, is this an idea whose time has come? Why not? There's real soldiers, female soldiers. Why not have toy soldiers that are mm-hmm. females? Do you think what it, when once they roll this out and people start seeing this, do you think there's going to be other people who then become appalled? Oh my gosh, you're glorifying war. Now you're suggesting that women should go and and shoot rifles and shoot bazookas and shoot other people. How terrible will that be? I, you can almost guarantee somebody's going to get offended yes. every time you turn around and do anything different. But I think the toy company was great for saying yeah let's make girl toy soldiers well there's gonna always be somebody that's offended by something everybody does yes there there is i think and i guess see and that's that's kind of where i come down on on this as well um i don't know i don't know that there's going to be a huge market for this and clearly what they're doing is they are kind of saying, okay, we're, we're, we're woke, you know, we're gender conscious and, you know, yes, and it's true, women can do everything that men can do. And yes, we have women that are in combat and things like that. So they're clearly, you know, applying that. Do they, you know, is there going to be a huge demand for it? I kind of, I, I seriously wonder about that. But, but, you know, that, that's fine. You offer this product. But mark my words, I guarantee that when this toy company rolls these out, whether it's this Christmas or next Christmas, I guarantee you, and mark the tape on this group who's producing the show today and always, I guarantee you there is going to be a huge outrage about this. And the way it is looked upon isn't going to be, oh, this is great, you know, we're promoting general, uh, you know, uh, gender equity and showing that girls can do just the same things that boys can do. That's not going to be the spin on this. Once this product actually hits the market, 
my prediction is the reaction is going to be, oh, this is terrible. We are glorifying war. How could we do anything that suggests that anyone, but particularly little girls, if that's who this is marketed for, should aspire to carry guns and shoot bazookas and engage in war? I guarantee you as sure as night follows day that that's going to be the outrage. And we're going to be talking about this, you know, a year plus from now when these toys are rolled out. And everybody that's saying, oh, this is nice right now, a lot of those same people are going to be appalled by it. To me, I, I guess I don't have much of a, you know, I don't think much of it anyways. I, I, one way or the other, my nine-year-old granddaughter, I, I wouldn't, She's not an army man. She's kind of a girly girl. She was, I would not buy, I would not buy army men as a gift for her. So I probably wouldn't buy, you know, army women for her either, you know, one way or the other. But for kids who want to do it, oh, okay, you know, maybe so. I'm just saying, I don't think that this is one of those situations where it, it's not as simple as people might believe. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. There is big money in comedy. Don't believe me? Well, this week, Netflix, you know, the streaming service, just paid 500 million bucks for the streaming rights to all 180 episodes of Seinfeld. Now, Seinfeld's been off the air for, you know, how long? You know, years and years and years and years and years. And yet, to get the rights to stream those episodes, Netflix pays 500 million. A day later, Warner Media, which is getting ready to roll out this HBO Max service, another streaming service, they paid a reported one B as in billion bucks, one billion dollars for the streaming rights to nearly 300 episodes of The Big Bang Theory. Gru, did you ever watch The Big Bang Theory? I mean, I, I just I, this, I'm not being judgmental. It's just I, I don't watch that much. You know, regular over-the-air network TV anymore. It's not, not sports, me. and I I've never seen it. But but obviously, there's business there because HBO Max, Warner Media, one billion dollars for the rights to stream the 300 episodes of The Big Bang Theory. On top of it, this uh, Warner Media also just dropped 425 million for the right to um, stream Friends. Now, Friends has been on uh, Netflix. And Friends is going to be leaving Netflix next year or the year after, I forget which. But it, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, of course, there's also the report that NBC Universal, which is getting ready to roll out its own streaming service, uh, they dropped $500 million to purchase The Office. So, I mean, here you have well, the Big Bang Theory just, you know, just concluded. But you've got Friends that's been off the air forever. You've got Seinfeld that's been off the air, at least in initial episodes, forever. You've got The Office that's been off the episodes, that's been out of new episodes forever. And they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars for the right to show them, which says to me, which says to me, if there's a great show that's out there, especially with these comedies, which tend to, I, I think, do much better in syndication than the dramas end up doing. But these comedies, they live on forever and ever and ever. And for the ones that are good, 
Well, people are willing to pay a whole bunch of money because, trust me, you know, Netflix isn't dropping, you know, $500 million for the rights to stream Seinfeld episodes if they don't think that there's a lot of us out there who, even though we've seen every Seinfeld episode four or five times, if they don't think that we want to watch it again, they would not spend that money. And their business model, of course, like Netflix and any of these streaming services, is they don't sell advertising. They, you know, they have the subscriptions. They want you to pay the ten bucks or the twelve bucks or whatever it is a month, and to be able to watch the shows. So there's a ton of money in making people laugh. And I thought what we would do in recognition of all this money that's being thrown around by these streaming services. I, for Pop Culture Corner today, I, I want to talk about I want to talk about TV, and I want to talk about TV comedies. The segment is called It Makes Me Laugh. What, in your opinion, is the best television sitcom of all time? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, we can go back to the first golden age of television and, you know, shows like, I don't know, Make Room for Daddy and I Love Lucy. And then you had the great shows that aired in the 60s. And then you had, I mean, the, the newer generation of shows like The Friends and The Office and things like that. But 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's, let's have some smiles and some fun as we go into the weekend. The best TV sitcom of all time. And as I always say during these segments, number one, I encourage you to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. And number two, don't overthink it. Typically, you know, when I say that, just go with your go with your first instinct. It normally turns out to be the best. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The best TV sitcom ever. I might ask you why. We're going to be back to take your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Mike in West Dallas. Mike, you're first. Best TV sitcom of all time. Married with children. <laughs> you are twisted, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know what I mean? It was kind of like the, all of the families of the 90s. You know what I mean? I Oh, yeah. I, I just, it was one of those where I used to laugh out loud at it. Then I'd kind of feel guilty that I laughed out loud at it. You know? No, <laughs> exactly. I, no, exactly. No, th- I mean, I, at any time I see Ed O'Neill now, I just, I, I just, He's he's always going to be Al Bundy. He's going to be typecast in that role. Charlotte in Brookfield. Charlotte, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Charlotte. Uh, all in, all in the family. Uh, you know, people for, people forget how revolutionary that show was because. But before All in the Family with the topical humor, you know, CBS was the Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction and Green Acres and all those things. And then All in the Family comes out and it just changes the whole dynamic. It's just so true. Yeah. Do you remember? I mean, were you were you old enough when it first aired on stuff on the air? Mm, um, I believe so. I probably was only a couple of Yes, okay. Oh, so you kind of you kind of discovered it a little bit later on. No. Okay. No. Thanks. Right. I, no. I get. And, and Carol O'Connor, who, by the way, was was a big lefty in real life. I mean, he was just just perfect for you know Archie Bunker. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dave in West Dallas. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Good. Okay. Best TV okay. sitcom. Yeah, hands down, it's got to be Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, it. It, it's really interesting. I was completely wrong about Seinfeld. I thought, I didn't think Seinfeld was going to have a shelf life. I, I thought 
it, it was really, really funny, but I thought moving forward it was too too topical, too tied to its times, too New York and all. And I was absolutely wrong because Seinfeld, those shows stand the test of time, and they're, some of them are just as funny now as they were in 1995. I, I still do the soup Nazi with my friends. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are right. real. Right. Well, exactly. And think about how many of, of the lines – from Seinfeld, you know, have become just part of, you know, the, the modern day vernacular. People just relate to those shows. No, I'm, no, thanks. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. And again, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't watch the first couple years. I was, I was kind of slow to, to come to that. And I've now seen all the episodes and syndication and stuff like that. There's a book out that I read about a year ago about the Seinfeld episodes and the making of them. And I just, I, I was wrong. I did not think, I did not think Seinfeld was going to have the longevity that it had, but it's it's incredibly funny. Let's talk to Don in Pewaukee. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Don. Don, yeah. Don, Don. Hi, Don. Best sitcom of all time. No question in my mind, Hogan's Heroes. It's a Nazi prisoner of war camp, Don. <laughs> yeah, but just the, the whole lines in that are just unbelievable. Yeah, it's... And the, the thing that I like about Hogan's Heroes, there's natural laughter in it, whereas a lot of these sitcoms got canned laughter, which drive me nuts. Yeah, it's um, – thanks. I mean, Hogan's Heroes, um, you know, Bob Crane, who was kind of a, a, an odd guy, you know, he, he was murdered and uh, you know, there's movies about his life and stuff, and Richard Dawson. And, you know, interestingly, a couple of the people, John Banner, who was the guy that played Sergeant Schultz, he, in fact, um, he, in fact, I, was, was Jewish and fled Germany at the time of the Nazi occupation. Really kind of an interesting thing. I – Again, I I just even back when I was a kid, I'd watch Hogan's Heroes, and I kept thinking it's in a Nazi prisoner of war camp. So I I never quite appreciated it, perhaps as much as I should have. Bob in Pewaukee, Bob, you're in WTMJ. Oh, hi, Bob. Um, Robin Williams, Mark and Mindy, especially in the later years when uh, Jonathan Winters was in there. Mm -hmm. Pam Dauber, you know, she was Mindy. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Robin Williams was one of the great comedic minds of the last couple generations, and he he was just – I saw him in stand-up once. I used to watch some of his specials, and, you know, it was just – and, of course, you know, Jonathan Winters, to your point, Jonathan Winters was kind of like the the mentor to Robin Williams, and I I can only imagine what it must have been like to be on the set of Mork and Mindy when the two of them were there. Oh, dear, yes. Yeah. No, it's – no, thanks for calling. No, I, I, um, Robin Williams, an incredible talent. You know, Mork and Mindy, it, which was, of course, a spinoff from Happy Days. He appeared on, on Happy Days in the beginning. Somebody was going to mention Happy Days, and then they, they turned that into, you know, his, his show. And it was just white hot for a year or two, and then it kind of, then it kind of faded, sort of ran out of steam. Joshua in Brookfield. Joshua, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Best TV show of, best sitcom of all time. Home Improvement. Oh, with Tim Allen. Yeah, Tim Allen, Richard Kern, Zachary Bryan. I mean, the whole group was fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, and that was a um, right. It it was. It's one that has legs. Home Improvement is a show that I think you can watch today and enjoy just as much as when those episodes first aired. I do agree. Actually, I do watch it with my kids. Okay, right, and it's another one that you can. Thanks for calling. That you can, in fact. You know, watch what you're with your kids. Okay, let me go to the text line because we're swamped here. Um, 
let's see, Frasier. A number of people are saying Frasier, which was, and some number of people are saying Cheers. And, of course, Frasier was the spinoff of Cheers. All right, I've got, a, I've got a Chelsea Grammar story. I'm in Colorado a couple of weeks ago with some friends, and, and we're outside of Vail, and we're driving down this hill, and, and one of my friends says, Chelsea Grammar. That was the house. Chelsea Grammer bought that house, and it's this huge house. And I said, does Chelsea Grammer still live there? He says, no, wife got it in the divorce. So it was like, but he said it was a, it, it was a spectacular home right outside of Vail. Uh, Get Smart with Don Adams. Yeah, that's, uh, Buck Henry was the writer for that. Uh, that was outstanding. Um, a couple of people mentioning the Cosby Show. Now, again, it's impossible to look back on the Cosby show without thinking of, you know, what's become of Bill Cosby. But that was an incredibly, that was another one of these white-hot TV shows and, you know, family values and the whole thing. It got just a lot of attention. Um, and, again, you, you can't look at it now, and you, you, I doubt you're going to even find it anymore because of, you know, what we know about Bill Cosby. number of people also mentioning M.A.S.H., which uh just outstanding. I think you can make an argument that Alan Alda's creation of his portrayal of Hawkeye Pierce may be one of the best portrayals in TV history. 414-799-1620. Let's go back in the time machine. Diana in Delafield. Hi, Diana. Hi, Jeff. You know, I'm hearing all of the other callers, and it's just it's all coming back to me. I think those are all great shows, but I, I'm 65 years old, and when I was younger, I... Um, the only way we got to watch TV was to watch it with whatever my dad watched. Right. And at that time, it was Lawrence Welk, and it was um, Saturday Night Wrestling on Sunday, the bowling <laughs> show. Right. And I didn't realize until later on how funny the honeymooners were. Yes. Um, I, I think I lost a lot of your audience by mentioning that one. But No, I, I, no, Jackie Gleason, and absolutely, and Art Carney, you know, the honeymooners. Yeah. It, it's it's classic, it's just classic TV, and, and they're... they're they're funny, and they're other, you know, Diana, they are shows that stand the test of time today. You watch some of those Honeymooner shows today, and they make you smile. It really does. You told me not to overthink it, and you know, it was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> well, that's okay. It, it, it worked. No, thanks again. And Jackie Gleason, incredibly, just, just an incredible entertainer. I mean, there's generations of people that know Jackie Gleason from his role in uh, Smokey and the Bandit as Justice uh, Buford, as, as uh, Sheriff Buford T. Justice. But Jackie Gleason, you know, great song and dance guy. Ralph crammed in on the Honeymooners, just was incredible. Um, let's see, a number of people, I, I have to mention this, number of people are saying friends. Um, I have to mention it because my wife and most of her close friends, they all love friends. I don't get it. I don't dislike friends. I, I don't. I don't dislike friends, but I don't understand people that could watch it five or six or seven times. But but I understand I am in the minority there. And I'll, we'll go out to dinner with a group of people, and, and they all know all the episodes, and they know the order and stuff. And I'm kind of like, I don't get it, but that's okay. I don't have to. That's the great thing about these TV shows. You get all sorts of different impressions. And i got to mention Friends as, as well. For me, I mean, a couple that weren't mentioned, Dick Van Dyke Show. I mean, I used to love the Dick Van Dyke Show. Seinfeld, I think, you know, stands the test of time. Roseanne, I think, uh, a little bit controversial, but that kind of stands the test of time as well. Uh, I used to love the Drew Carey Show. used to love the Drew Carey Show. In any event, there's money in comedy. Don't believe me. Just look at what these streaming services are paying to continue to show you old TV shows. All right, John McCure is on the road. We'll talk to him in just a moment.